know, every time we come, God wants to do something in us. He wants to speak something to us because he loves us. And he wants to encourage our hearts. He wants to change our lives. He wants to give us tools, right, that'll enable us to live victoriously in this world. So really, have an ear to hear what the Ruach would say to you, what, he would, uh, what you would take out of this message, right, what you would glean from it to go home and implement. So pray with me. Avinu Malkenu. Our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey the word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. Amen. Last week, Rabbi Carroll spoke on the importance of the word of God, and I trust and pray that um, you took seriously um, that exhortation to uh, be diligent, to be consistently in the Word of God. That it is that meditation, that consistency in the Word of God. And I want to stress that word consistency. That affects change in our lives. You see, what we're about is not about a religious experience. We're about a transformation of the heart. That's what God desires to do in us. He wants to transform us into his image and his likeness. He wants to take us from those beggarly elements of the world, right? Those principles that are low living. And he wants to take us to a different place in him. And and that requires a transformation of the heart. And so I trust that's why we pray every week and, and let our guests know and you know that we want to take you from where you currently are to where God wants you to be. There is a transformation that God wants to do in our lives and the word of God allows that to take place. The word of God, as Rabbi Carroll said last week, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is powerful. And so I trust that you are being in the word of God, because you know what? Life throws a lot of things our way. Good things, bad things, challenging things, right? Things that make us happy, things that make us sad. And the only way that we get through it, like the psalmist, is by going to God and going to his word and being encouraged because he is the only one, you know, I've, I've learned this. Um, it's nice to have a wonderful family, a great wife and children and friends and a community of faith. But at the end of the day, only God could really encourage our heart. Only God could really reach into the depths of who we really are and encourage us. Um, and so we have to fall on his mercies. We have to look to his word. And so... Today, I will speak, I'll be speaking on the area of worship. I entitled the message, The Heart of Worship. The scripture has much to say on the subject of worship because it is part of the very fabric of the community of faith. As a matter of fact, if you were to ask a secular person, a non-religious person, who doesn't even believe in God, and you would ask him what this place is, or what a church down the road is, or a synagogue up the street, they would say this, 
It's labeled a house of worship. So even the non-believer, even the secular person recognizes that in this place and amongst this community, there is worship taking place unto God. And so we are, by our very definition, a community of worshipers. Worship is to our faith like air is to our life. You need air to live, right? And so worship for the believer is just as vital. God, you know, we often say when we go through challenging times in our life, and if you never had this, then excuse the uh, um, illustration, but we've had times, all of us in our life, that we say, where is God? Where is he? And I'll say this, that God will always be found among a worshiping people. You hear that? God will always be found among a worshiping community. So today we're going to explore what worship is, the object of our worship, the importance of worship, and a few other issues that pertain to this very important topic. So here are a few notable quotes on worship from men of God. Tozer says, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Think of that. <laughs> right? Carson said this, that, not Johnny Carson, by the way. <laughs> Carson said this, I could safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any, oh, I said that already. <laughs> Worship is the proper response of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. And T. Wright said, put it this way, if your idea of God, if your idea of the salvation offered in Messiah is vague or remote, your idea of worship will be fuzzy and ill-formed. The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty and the more you will find worship welling up within you. That's why theology and worship belong together. The one isn't just a head trip, and the other isn't just emotion. And lastly, Craig Keener said this, We should know and celebrate God with our whole person. While too many believers neglect to serve God with their mind, Others cultivate only their minds and neglect the emotional aspects of worship. And so God is, from what we learn there, worthy to be praised. It is our duty as his creatures, right, as his children, as his people, to desire to worship him and to make that our highest priority. So let's go through a couple of things about worship. 
Let's discover the truth about worship. So what is worship? I think if someone was beamed down from another planet into any worship setting, they might get the wrong idea about worship is. They would think it's maybe primarily about either reading a piece of liturgy or chanting it or singing it or listening to music with lifting up of hands or davening or whatever your particular style might be. They might get the impression that that's what worship is about. And those external expressions of worship are certainly valid when done from a heart of love toward God. But that is not what worship is. Worship, from the perspective of the Tanakh, is rooted in sacrifice. This is evidenced by two texts of scripture that play key roles in Israel's salvific experience. Israel had a major experience with God in this two specific texts that highlight that. These set a tone for what worship is truly about. It really has nothing to do with music or singing. In the Tanakh, the altar upon which the sacrifice was made was the focal point of worship. So I would suggest to you that sacrifice is the central and overarching definition of what worship is. Worship is a sacrifice unto God. And we see this in those two major passages of scripture that inform us for our two holiest days of the year being Pesach, which is about what? The sacrificed lamb. And Yom Kippur, which is about the Uh, final atonement or the day of atonement in which we read the story of the Akidah, right? A story of sacrifice. And so the worshiper taking an animal, their own property and seeing it taken from them and sacrificed by the priest realized the cost and the loss, the emotion of this experience should not be understated. It was a sacrifice. As we peer over into the Brut Chadesha, we have a picture of worship as sacrifice as well. Romans 12.1 tells us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The Jewish person who hears that gets it, Completely and totally because their life understands what it is to bring a sacrifice unto God in worship. You don't go to God. You don't go to God without an offering. The sacrifices are part and parcel and the heartbeat of the Beit Mikdash, of the temple, of worship. 
Without sacrifice, there is no worship. So they understand this. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Through Yeshua, therefore, let us continually offer, say continually, offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. I want to say it. Worship is sacrifice. Say that with me. Worship is sacrifice. Now, I know that we come in here on, whether it be a Saturday or if you go to uh, 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 come to a Wednesday night, or wherever you encounter the opportunity to worship, that you might not be up to worshiping God. You may not want to worship God. You may not desire to sing unto God or praise God or even talk to God. But that's why worship is a sacrifice. We don't do the things we like. We come to God and we offer him something that is costly to us. I believe that as a community, we could, do be, we could do better in the area of worship. I believe that we could offer God 100% of who we are in sacrifice to him every time we gather. I'll say, I'll say this because there might be those of us in the room that prefer a given style of worship. Some people might prefer worship with music. Some people might prefer a more liturgical style of worship. It's not about a style, and it's not about our likes. It's about sacrificing to God our praise and our heart, presenting that to him. Now, don't misunderstand. I know God enjoys and receives our worship through liturgy and music. However, there are times where doing these things are a sacrifice to perform. It's a sacrifice to sing and worship God after you lose a loved one. When you're struggling in your body with sickness, when you're discouraged, it's a sacrifice to come in and you have, come on, let's say we've all been there, right? You come into the house of God and, oh, everyone's happy, happy. And you just don't want to participate in happy, happy. Because you're discouraged, you're downtrodden, whatever it is. We could be going through any number of things. It is a sacrifice then to say, God, I will worship you with my lips, the fruit of my lips. I will praise your name. I will lift my heart unto you. It's difficult to sing or to recite a piece of liturgy about God being the Lord of the world when everything's going wrong in our life and we feel like he can't even be Lord over my singular life. That's when praise is a sacrifice. It's hard to confess these things. So what's the answer? It's simple. Worship is a sacrifice. This is why giving, for instance, that has been so distorted in the body of Messiah and maligned. When you give to God, you are literally sacrificing part of your own sustenance and saying, God, here, it's yours. 
That is a very tangible way to worship God. You're giving something that you have that you could use in another way. And saying, no God, I sacrifice it for you. I'll give up something for you. It's sacrifice. And that's why God blesses it. That's why God loves when his people have a generous spirit. That's what worship is. There was an old song that came to mind as I was thinking about this. Who remembers that song, We Bring a Sacrifice of Praise? It's about as old as the hills. Unto the house of the Lord, we bring a sacrifice of praise. And saying that God, I don't necessarily, I don't know, do you wake up just skipping around your house? Sometimes I do, but not every time. And sometimes you just don't feel like doing it. But we bring a sacrifice of praise unto you, O God. Secondly, God wants worshipers. To worship is to experience, this is one writer, he says this, to worship is to experience reality. Hear that. This, you know, we talked about meditation, right, a few weeks back. To worship is to experience reality. I know we think that this is reality because we could touch it and feel it. But the scripture talks about there is a greater reality. There's a great reality that we will one day see clearly. Right now we see dimly as through a glass, but it does not make it any less real. It's more real. And to worship is to experience reality, to touch life, the zoe, the life of heaven. It is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Messiah in the midst of the gathered community. I want you to think about that for a second. Do you experience the resurrected Messiah in the midst of the gathered community? That's God's desire for you. It is a breaking into the Shekhinah of God, or better yet, being invaded by the Shekhinah of God. Friend, when we're going through hard times and struggles, when we're going through good times, it doesn't matter. And when we break into the very presence of God, it is a refreshing of our soul that we could get no other place. You can't take a little pill, pop it, and get what God can give you through his very spirit. Yochanan chapter 4 and 23, and we know this scripture well. Says, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Tells me two things. He desires true worshipers and he desires worshipers. He's looking for people who could um, set aside everything else and bring to God something of value of them. And say, God, I give you, there was a song way back, I give you all of my worship, I give you all of my praise. It's costly, but God wants worshipers. 
People sometimes think that God is hard to please when in fact all we need to do is worship him honestly and truthfully. God, I'm hurting now. God, I don't feel like singing a song to you or praying a prayer or reciting about your greatness. But God, I do it anyway. God honors that honesty and that integrity. Why? Because he wants to share himself with us in our good times, in our hard times, right? We don't bring animals to offer anymore. And with the exception of our finances, which are a tangible thing, right, we offer to God a spiritual offering of worship. In whatever form that we choose. It requires honesty and an engaged heart, mind, and soul. We sing it every week in the Vahavta, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. With every part of our being. And it, it takes honesty to do that. God is not telling us to always feel like bringing the sacrifice. But he's telling us to bring that sacrifice. Why? Because he, we always think of it that God wants something from us. And that's not unreasonable. Is there a father among us that doesn't enjoy when his kid comes over and gives him a hug? Or he says, Dad, I love you. Feels pretty good. So yes, we enjoy getting But I think just as importantly as that, God wants to get something to us. He wants to get his love to us, his grace to us, his mercy to us. I'm only alive 55 years. And I figured this out, and I know you're going to think I'm a very smart guy. Life is hard. No free passes in life. Pain doesn't pass anyone by. Hardship doesn't pass anyone by. Struggle doesn't pass anyone by. Life's hard. But with God's help, when we worship God, we think, oh, what's this God after? He's after getting something to us to help us make it through our everyday life that is sometimes really challenging. So I want you to think about this. Think about this, that you and I can give God something he's looking for. You know, the old adage, you know, what do you buy the man that has everything? Right? So my, you know, my kids, you know, Dad, what do you want for your birthday? You know, do I really want anything for my birthday? Right? Because if I want something, I, I, don't, I don't want anything. I don't have, I'm not wanting anything. What does God want? We think God would be a want of nothing. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What does God need? What does God want? There is one thing that makes God happy. worship that you can make God happy 
and provide him something that he is seeking. Yeah, my little thing. You can provide God something that he wants, what he's looking for. Isn't that awesome? You can't even buy an earthly person something they want. (laughs) Can't find the right thing, but you could give God something that he's longing for in his heart. God wants worshipers. Worship is a sacrifice. And three, God needs to be the object of our worship. What do you mean by that, Rabbi? There's a reason why God gave the commandments. He gave the very first commandment is at the heart of what I'm talking about. Here it is. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, which, by the way, we mention in some way, shape, or form every single solitary Shabbat. You just say those Shabbat blessings you are referencing coming out of Egypt. So that's a constant reminder to us, right, as a Jewish community and as a Messianic Jewish community coming out of the Egypt of sin and death. A constant reminder before us. And so so here, the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Every week, we should be reminded of this very command just by keeping Shabbat. You shall have no other gods before. Why would God feel a need to tell us that? Could it be that we as a people have a propensity to look for other gods? Israel, who God did so many mighty things amongst. I remember and. You know, you've heard this story, some of you, but when we're in Israel, our tour guide said that the land of Israel is filled with little Ashtarot. Why? Because the ancient Israelites had little idols and succumbed to the worshiping and participating in the idols of the nations. Yes, even after God did great deliverances, even God's very presence was in the midst of their community. Here's what he's saying. This is what he's saying in King's English. (laughs) Hey, guys. I am the one who rescued you because of my great love for you. I took you out of darkness and from the throes of Sheol and brought you to myself. Don't treat others, not your spouse or your children or your money or your possessions, not the world or any other created thing, as if they have done that for you. I am the Lord your God. And you shall have no other gods before me. Don't treat things or stuff or other people as if they did something great for you. Scripture says the Lord gives us power to get wealth. It all comes from him. And that's what he's saying. Don't make that mistake. Don't by your actions give those things that stuff, all your priority over the God who gave it all for you. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. No other gods before him. That's worship. Nothing to do with anything else. That's worship. You know, we live in a time where in the body of Messiah, we worship our worship. We worship our worship. I like this only. I like that and that's 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 what worship's about friend I remember one summer it was made crystal clear to me by God we had gone to several events one was very contemporary one was very gospel-esque and then I remember going to a little congregation for a meeting and there was one person up Worshiping God with an accordion. Totally not my thing. That's not, the, <laughs> that's not my, my style that I would gravitate to. I don't listen to accordion music in my spare time. But I can remember, it was when I was young in the, in, in the faith, I remember going to that meeting, seeing the guy stand up with an accordion and say, like, <laughs> we're in for it. This is going to be a snore fest. And as soon as that guy hit that accordion and began to sing, guess what I felt? I felt the Spirit of God. And God told me, it's not about that. It's about me. It's about God. If God is the object of our worship, we can worship in any style, any place, anywhere, anytime. And not only can we worship him, we can find him in our worship. That's an encouraging thing, you know. Matter of fact, anyone here like coffee? I'm a, I'm a coffee drinker. You like coffee? If you were to come to my house and say, Rabbi, I didn't have my morning coffee. Can you get me a cup of coffee? First, I would say, absolutely. Get your cup of coffee. And I'd take my little Keurig. I'd pop the top. I'd take what kind of coffee you want. Put it in. Give you some coffee. And you'd take that coffee and you'd say, thanks, Rabbi. I really needed that. We wouldn't pay attention to the cup that it was in. You wouldn't go on and on and on about the cup that you were drinking out of, you wanted a cup of coffee. And you say, wow, thanks for the coffee. No one ever says, thanks for the cup. Right? Do you? Thanks for the cup, McDonald's. Never saw in a brown cup with an M on it that looks so good. You know, who does that? You, the coffee is the object of your desire. 
In the same way, it's not the style of our worship that is the object of our desire. It is God that is the object of our desire. And when we have that in mind, guess what? We would come to any worship service, any house of worship, and be able to engage our desire for God. And have a meaningful experience in that place. Number four. All right, Rabbi. What's the importance of worship? So I said we, we recite the Vahavta every week. And you could recite that Vahavta every week and it could be a religious thing. And you go, when's it going to be done? Or we could recite the Vahavta and we could meditate on these words, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind with all your strength. And someone said the divine priority is worship first, service second. Love God, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself. The divine priority is God first. Serve a second. When we worship the God of Israel, through the Messiah of Israel, we will become more like God. We will be interested in the things that God's interested in. We will be excited about what excites God. But what do you think happens? I think I've mentioned this before, but it is so true because it's happened to me. I can remember other people that I've sat under said similar things. That we are wired in such a way that if you started to to perhaps engage a group of friends that were interested in pick something, you know, baseball. Maybe you can't stand baseball. All right, I don't know if you like it or you don't like it. But if they were really into baseball and you liked their friendship and you decided to go and you just started to sit and be around baseball and then they said, why don't you come to a baseball game and, hey, here's a gift for your birthday. Here's a baseball cap and, you know, um, here's a couple of, you know, pieces of baseball memorabilia and you started, eventually you start to kind of get a little interested in baseball. You started hanging around those folks and next thing you know, you're interested in baseball and you're going to those games and you're excited about those things as well because the things and the people we hang around with we become like and that's why God is always asking us to come into his presence he's always inviting us to come because God sits enthroned on the praises of Israel where's God? people would ask how do you find God? Praise him and you'll find him. God sits enthroned on the praises 
of Israel. Psalm 22 and verse 4. Worship attracts God's presence. In worship we're strengthened. Tehillim 16 and 11 says, You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. So, you know what? Joy is an interesting thing. I'll tell you why. Because so little... So few people have joy. And here's the reason. You can't get joy any other place. You can buy happiness for a little bit. Just for a little... You can borrow happiness. You get a new car. It's exciting. Come on, let's face it. You ever buy a new car? Is that exciting? Kind of exciting until you get the bill. <laughs> you know when the guy sits down with you and gives you that bottom line? You've got to pay it. Not as exciting, but it's a little exciting. A little exciting to get something new, but it dissipates really quickly. The joy of the Lord and the pleasures of his presence stay with you all day long. Nehemiah chapter 8 and 10 says this, For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and the only place we could find joy is in his presence. In his presence. In worship. He sits enthroned on the praises of Israel. Life will beat you up. Life will beat you up and leave you for dead on the curb and pass you by. (laughs) If we don't have the joy of the Lord and therefore the strength of God, and that's why there's a lot of believers that are eaten up, they're chewed up, they are wearied. There's a lot of believers that are walking around spiritually bludgeoned. They're just in rough shape. Because you don't encounter the presence of God, the very presence of God that we were created to be in relationship with on a regular basis. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Did I say that? No. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How do you get that relationship, worship? Friends, we need to be worshipers. And let me give you one more. And then we're going to close and we're going to get to go upstairs and have some food and fellowship and stuff. Yay. How do we prepare to worship? Does your morning go like this on Shabbat? You roll out of bed. Take a shower. Go downstairs. Get that coffee going. Get everyone packed up and schlep over to the shul and walk in and, okay, I'm going to worship now. 
Most people do it that way. I've done it that way. Sometimes still do it that way. If time gets the better of me. But listen to this. Someone wrote, a striking feature of worship in the Bible is that people gathered in what we can only call a holy expectancy. They believed they would actually hear the kol shem. The voice of God. That they would encounter God. They had an expectancy. That as they gathered in worship to the living God, the living God, that they would hear his voice. When more than one or two come into public worship with a holy expectancy, it can change the atmosphere of a room. Do you come, and I want to encourage you to come, not just here, but go into your prayer closet. Go in any time. If you, if you pray to God on your way to work, go into your car and approach that drive to work with a holy expectancy that you're going to receive and hear the voice of God. I, don't, I wouldn't even ask, but how many people really worship God during the week? And I don't mean sing a song during the week. I mean worship God during the week. Worship God, that means encounter God during the week. And I would encourage you to find a song, a prayer. Take your seat door if that's, your, if that's what does it for you. Take your seat door, find a prayer. And in that prayer, find God. Allow the voice of God to speak to you in a deep and meaningful way. If it's through a piece of music, find a song in which you could find God's presence and meet with the living God. Connect with God through those things. Whet your spiritual appetite for more of God. Friends, I've never seen it like this in all my days of serving God. I'm not serving God just a few weeks. Serving God a long time. And there is such a lack of, sometimes I think it's like we're bored with God. God has just become one of the, 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 the check marks on our to-do list. That, yeah, I know I'm supposed to worship God. I know I'm supposed to go to shul. I know. So let me just do it. That's so far removed from what it's supposed to be. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go up. Let's make Aliyah to the house of God because we will meet with him, God, the living God. I mean, guys, come on. Let's go up to the house of God. We're going to meet with the living God. 
Where has that gone? Why has that been replaced to, oh, yeah, I have to get, I have to, I have to do it. I've done it, and now let's go. Friend, you're shortchanging yourself. I'm shortchanging myself if that's how I approach this. I want to invite you. I want to ask you. I want to implore you. Build an expectancy. I was talking with my wife. Most believers I know talk about the old days. Remember them? When you were born anew for the first time? You were so excited about God. You loved to read the word. You loved to pray. You just loved, you wanted to serve God and give God your all. Friend, think about it. How many people want a marriage relationship that was better on the first day of the marriage than it is 20 years later? Anyone want that? (laughs) My gosh, all the women are writhing. They're saying, no, not that. You want a relationship, give me the G word, to grow. To get better and better and better and better and better like a fine wine, which I don't drink, so I don't know what wine tastes like. Right? Isn't that what it should be? Our relationship with God should be the same. Live throughout the week as an heir of the kingdom of God. You hear me? Live your week as if you are an heir of the kingdom of God. Want to know why? Because you are an heir of the kingdom of God. Listening for his voice, obeying his word. And since you have heard his voice throughout the week, you will know you will hear his voice again as you gather in public worship. Do you know what this meeting is here Today, it's an accumulation of your relationship with God and your relationship with God and my relationship with God and your relationship with God all coming together to make a dynamic experience. But guess what? If you don't have a relationship with God that you're feeding and, 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 and nurturing every day, and if you don't do it and if I don't do it, and then we come together, guess what? That experience is not going to be dynamic. People often ask me, hey, Rabbi, I went to this conference in such and such a place. Oh, my goodness. It was so awesome. The worship was so powerful. And to that, I would reply, yeah, I bet it was awesome. You want to know why? What kind of event do you think, what type of worship experience do you think you're going to have when people pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to fly across the country, to spend and and invest money in hotel rooms, right, and, and, and food? These people must be hungry for God. 
That's why it's a dynamic worship spirit experience because they want to worship God that they'll sacrifice money and time and energy. Absolutely. You're going to have a dynamic experience with those types of folks. But that should be us. Every week. That we could have a dynamic. We could bring that hunger and that passion for God every time we gather. Let me give you a few more things and I'm going to close. Just be, I would say this. How many people want to see lost people found? You know what's a good way to do that? Is for lost people to encounter the presence of God. So could you imagine if you, you came in the sanctuary, most of you have a routine of what you do, but could you imagine if you began that when you came into the sanctuary on time or a little early, that you began to pray and focus your thoughts upon God. And if you saw someone who looks a little downcast, that you would lift them up, just not go over to them, I draw attention, but you just lift them up in your prayers and your thoughts. God, bless them today. Let them encounter your presence. God, bring healing to them today. God, refresh my brother, my sister today. And as you come in, you have a hard attitude that's just not about, but about prayer. God, we, I want to meet with you today. Could you imagine what that might do if you did and I did and we did it corporately? Pray for the Shekinah to descend upon us. Doing this prepares our hearts to encounter God. Someone wrote this, that one feature of the early Messianic community was their sense of being gathered together in worship. First, they were gathered in the sense that they were actually meeting as a cohesive group. And second, as they met, they were gathered into a unity of the spirit that transcended their own, hear this, individualism. We're so individualistic in our society But do you realize God is a community God? God, throughout the scripture from beginning to end, has spoken to us in the context of community. I would say that worship is a team sport. It's a community event. It's about community coming together in worship, and it produces a synergy that individual worship cannot reproduce. I have great times in my own personal worship time. I could pick up a guitar, I could begin to worship, and, and I could feel and sense the presence of God. As can you. That's not unique to me. If you are a believer in Yeshua, You could get in your car on the way home and find the presence of God. And it's a wonderful thing. But it's not the same as when we do it together. There's a dynamic, a synergy that happens as we do it together that is absolutely powerful. So, title of today's message was heart of worship. Not the heart of music, 
not the heart of liturgy, not the heart of the Sidor. not the heart of the latest craze in contemporary worship. Heart of worship. With God being our sole desire. Always hear people, oh, when we get to heaven, heaven's going to be powerful. Yeah. Who do you think the focus is in heaven? The lamb on the throne. The elders that fall and the cherubim that cry day and night. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai Tzivaot. Day and night, night and day. Day and night. Night and day, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzavaot. To the Lamb, to the Holy One who sits on the throne. Friend, if we make him our priority here, we'll be in good shape. Your life will be blessed. Remember Obed Edom? Remember his house? What happened to his house? when the ark of God was in his house. He was blessed beyond measure. Matter of fact, David said, we got to get that back to Yerushalayim because that guy's getting his socks blessed off. Right? Because the presence of God could do what nothing else could do in your life. There's no promotion, there's no acknowledgement of men that could do what God's presence could do for you. Let's stand to our feet. I'll say the ironic blessing on you and invite you to come upstairs if you so desire. Hope you do. We'd like to fellowship with you over a cup of coffee and a bagel and a piece of cake for those who celebrated their birthday. Father, I pray, Lord, your blessing and your favor and your grace and your mercy upon your people, God. Father, I pray, God, that in each and every life, in each and every home, Abba, that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all they ask or imagine. God, for every sick body that it would be healed, for everyone who is downcast and downtrodden in heart and spirit, God, that you would refresh each one. God, that those who are lonely, God, that you would encourage with your friendship. Father, we just pray, Lord God, your richest blessings upon each one and their families. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Father, we ask it. B'Shem Yeshua, Mishikenu. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Shabbat Shalom. Please join us upstairs. And yeah, men.
We have a men's breakfast tomorrow morning, 9.30, at the Center Reach Diner. So please join us. God bless you. Thanks.